Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Little Left of Center, the podcast that interviews culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground. Dating and relationships. Dating and relationships. Oof, it's tough out there. But what if there is an easier way? And as we embark on a new decade, we would hope that we have found or will find our person. And as someone who is on the dating and relationship scene for far too long and made many, many, many stumbles, I was excited to find Clarissa Silva to bring to you. And Clarissa Silva is a behavioral scientist, cognitive behavioral therapist, and researcher and has developed the happiness hypothesis method. And she revolutionized an approach to love with a method that is unconventional, my favorite, highly disruptive, also my favorite, science-driven, and transformational. Cool, right? So I love talking to Clarissa about breaking our own patterns and developing an algorithm to finding love. I wish I knew she existed when I was out on the scene. Uh, But before we talk to Clarissa, I have two notes. One is that the audio in this interview is not my best. I'm testing out new platforms to make sure that the audio quality going forward sounds top notch. And you know that bad audio quality is my biggest pet peeve in podcasting. But please make sure you listen. Clarissa is amazing. The content is great. And I appreciate you sticking with me. Number two, I always like to take you behind the scenes of the podcast. And as I mentioned, I'm testing out all new kinds of technology. And the podcast program that I've started for new podcasters called Press Play Podcast, that's so many Ps, officially launches on January 6th. So if you are interested to sign up or if you've been thinking about 2020, it's my year, I want to make it different, I want to make it better. Uh, I'm going to start a podcast. I would highly recommend go to bit.ly forward slash press play podcast and sign up. It starts next week. So I've been looking at experimenting, like I said, with all the fun technologies out there. For instance, for remote interviews, I used to use Skype to record audio and it was awful. The sound wasn't that great. It was clunky. You had to use another third-party plugin to record, and you always had to update the software. They were never synced up, and the sound quality wasn't that great. So then I decided to switch to Zoom, and the reason why I use Zoom is because the audio is much better than Skype, but it also has a video component. So if I have a remote interview, a lot of times I'll put it on YouTube as well. So some people really like to watch their podcast. Joe Rogan is really big on that too. So I thought it would be a great way to increase distribution. And if people preferred to consume their podcast through YouTube, have at it. So that's why I use Zoom or switch to Zoom. But if and if the guest is recording using earbuds with a mic, it sounds fine. But it does sound compressed and can sound tinny. So I'm going to try out Squadcast. So Squadcast is a newer platform that is designed to have really deep, rich sounds, and it's specifically made for podcasters. So I'm very hopeful. I will report back. I've got a lot more going on behind the scenes. So if you want to learn more or entertain by the behind the scenes looks, I'd encourage you to follow me on Instagram at, at, 
Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, underscore, underscore, hair, H-A-R-E, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay, so let's get to my chat with Clarissa Silva. Well, thank you, Clarissa. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been um, kind of diving deep into the happiness hypothesis and was listening to a few podcasts that you were on um, before. And I think what you're doing is fascinating. And I have to start off with you're just a dumbass.com. <laughs> so so um, let me just do a proper introduction. So we are here with Clarissa Silva. She is a scientist. She's a behavioral scientist and researcher and has something called the happiness hypothesis, which I'm very interested to learn a little more about. Yeah. So tell me about you're just a dumbass.com. It's the most brilliant website name ever. <laughs> Thank you. I, I actually started um, my entire business based on my frustration with online dating and in real dating in New York City. So I just got so fed up with the process in New York that I started, I started that tongue-in-cheek blog documenting some of like the ridiculous was it like sex in the city kind of thing of just no because it was worse it was like all online dating and just yeah the craziest stories that you could ever encounter would just i don't know i i'm it's not exclusive to me but but yeah so you're just a dumbass came from <laughs> a conversation that i was either having with myself after these horrific dates yeah about the other people i was having dates with i started just documenting a lot of my theories and I was developing an algorithm at that time. Now define an algorithm. So what do you mean by an algorithm? Who thinks that way when they're talking about dating? They're like, I just need to find somebody that's cool. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a behavioral scientist. So when yeah. I was online dating, I was looking at what are, what are really the compatibility measures driving these different dating sites? What are, you know, how is it that I'm setting the parameters because I'm using the traditional dating site, right? Not apps yet, right? So I'm using first wave dating and I'm like, how I'm setting the parameters that I'm looking for. And yet what I'm yielding is sometimes the exact opposite of what I put in as, you know, the search criteria. So then I started thinking that perhaps none of these there was a lot of the dating sites that were missing vital stuff for compatibility and just general relationship satisfaction. So that's where I started taking on what do I think the key components are? What do I think would be a better way to match people? What are a better way to really ultimately find the person, your ideal, you know, your ideal type or your partner, your, your husband, your wife, you know, whatever your ultimate goal was, I was like, what are the ideal factors that goes into that? So you're just a dumbass started the work and created the algorithm for your happiness hypothesis. So, so what have you, I'm, I'm curious. So there are a lot of dating apps out there and I had, I had an idea that popped into my head about a year ago that I want to start a dating app called loser l-o-s-r and it's for people who have no game and like coach them throughout like don't do not call her do not call her right now you know like or whatever it is so um uh but anyway i'm curious to know what do you think are do you think that your experience was localized to new york do you think it was dating apps or do you think it was the people what did you learn 
from this experience? So I started, so you're just a dumbass started my, my, I, the, the algorithm, right? And it led into your happiness hypothesis because I wanted to look at, remember I'm a scientist and relationship expert. So I, I wanted to generalize what my findings were and what my own life was. And that's what I, that's why we started the blog we started the blog as just a place to to see where people re were resonating and how many people and what gender and what age so we started collecting a lot of this data when it was just the blog so then uh, about two three years ago i started your happiness hypothesis study so then we started exploring more in depth what is driving what is driving the poor outcomes in relationships Are, is it dating apps is it how we how we respond to second wave dating apps, the swipe technology, is it mm -hmm. the pool of people in general? So what we found was that when people were using dating apps, they're treating people like they do their social media streams where you know, you're know you scanning and the shiniest object is what you stop at and then you move on to the next shiny object. So we found a number of different things that became problematic about that. So I explored everything, Allison. I said, okay, tell me what your seven characteristics are. Now tell me what you look for when you're on these apps. Now tell me what your dating history is. I mean, every single thing. So today we have 1,760 participants in the study. And wow. we, have, we have from 28 to 73 that have been included um, that were active online dating users, active social media users, and active in real life dating. Why such a later age of 28 versus younger than that? What, where did that date range come from? I think, it's, I think it was driven by my practice, right? My practice was always 30 and higher. So when I started to test a younger market, I my work was still only really resonating with those that were walking into their 30s versus people that just came out of came out of college yeah you know what I mean? these are people that are fed up right they're fed up with dating they're not uh they're maybe a little bit jaded i think at that point right and they well the real thing is what i was trying to look at is how well does my algorithm work for for people that are in their 30s when you already have a sense and you have a dating history that you could look at and say, oh yeah, you know, I have patterns and maybe I should try to break out of them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. I, so I had, when I, I'm, I'm happily married now. I've been, uh, yeah. I've been with my husband. Thank you. I've been with my husband for 11 years, but I met him later and I was the quintessential single girl for five years prior to that. And I actually went to a relationship coach and I would get in these relationships okay. where I would meet these guys that were great, but they weren't like, there was something off, you know, like I knew that they probably weren't the one for me, but they checked a lot of boxes. We had a good time, but they weren't committing to me. They were just, you know, what, like something was always off. Yep. And even though I was typically the one that would initiate the breakup, I was the one that was like destroyed and trying to, and I don't think it was, uh, I think it was independent of the guy. I think it was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Yep. I went to a relationship coach and this woman told me something that I never expected and kind of carried me where she said, you know, that rush that you get when you first meet somebody that you like and you are excited when he texts or calls or when you go out and 
all of those things. She's like, that's like the signal to run away. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh -huh. I love, you know, like you crave that, right. that rush. And she said, that is your pattern. And that if you're going to break that pattern, you need to find somebody that maybe isn't, you know, going to, you're not going to be so caught up in because when you're caught up in that, I don't know if it's melatonin or whatever, that it's not melatonin, serotonin, dopamine, yeah, yeah. dopamine yeah, yeah. you know, that you, your judgment is clouded. Mm -hmm. And, uh, do you agree with that? What are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you practice? Okay. So that is, what's interesting is I now took my algorithm and created a six week program, right? Okay. So what I found is exactly everything you're saying. Sometimes desperation was driving selection. You know, poor decision-making history drove a lot of selection. So when I started looking at the core of what was driving a lot of, you know, relationship failure, right? And, and not being able to select the right type for yourself, it boiled down to decision-making. Now there's some things that happen that your brain started doing as a result of social media, right? There's, so technically your brain can detect what you find attractive within milliseconds, right? So you, it's, it's technically possible that you could find what is attractive, right? But the brain has three other different layers that it's using to make a decision your past relationship history, your past hurt, rejection. And then on top of that, because of the way we're cognitively evolving because of social media and maybe dating tech could be all of these conflating factors. There, it's, what I found was it's, it's really highlighting inattentional blindness in our scans, right? So what is that? Say that again. Inattentional blindness is What does that mean? It means that your brain can detect what's attractive, but it'll start to dismiss other parts other elements of the data. So in gaming this theory is used to explain why, you know, you're you're focused on your target, you're zoning in on your target and then you're blindsided and somebody kills you. Because of that inattentional blindness, what you're what you're ascribing into that search and what you think is attractive is dismissing possible viable candidates. So this all seems super scientific to me. How do you who is your ideal client and what do your sessions, your six-week programs look like? So I've I've worked with I've worked with people that are just that were just like me, right? You're you're in your 30s your professional so you so the the thing that i think we we question a lot when you're when you're a professional or, or high achieving right because the two things are, are hand in hand yeah you wonder why you excel so much at one area of life and then do so poorly on another yes you're right and it doesn't matter now, so the majority of my practice is with scientists, engineers, and entrepreneurs, right? Is that right? Now, is that by design or is that just who you attract because of? Well, I mean, like initially, I, you know, I, I, I spoke just. Are they nerds? <laughs> well, some of the engineers are nerds. Like they'll come Yes, with, I'm married to one. Oh, it's so cute. My engineers come with Gantt charts, logic models. They come like. 
with their, and they, they will recount their whole dating history to you in just that one session with details. And Uh so I think I appreciated, and I understood, like, I think, I think when you're a scientist or an engineer or a stemmer, I think, I think I've always, I've always thought of us as the underdog, right? People, people will look at us and be like, oh yeah, okay. Hmm. They're not the jock. They're not the beauty prom queen. They're, you know, they're under the radar and, you know, who we're attracted to hardly ever reciprocates it when we're younger, you know, and then as, as we got older, we just built this definition around, Hey, I'm smart. That I got that going for me, so I will figure yeah. this out. You know, using smartness. You know, do you think it's? But do you think it's all about breaking patterns? Do you think it is kind of unwinding those psychological way of like, let's go back to your family and growing up. You know, let's talk. What are your issues with your mom and dad? What I think is hilarious is that your blog was ranked as the top 100 sex, love, and lust blogs. By stdcheck.com. I don't know. I mean, this just gets funnier and funnier. Yeah. You know, when it comes to dating and relationships, you must have hear, heard some weird ass shit in your in your seat. So I'm curious about how do you unpack that and start to get them on a course that is either course correcting or something that is um, native to who they are and feels better and and can get success. I know that you, you're happily married, right? So you've used your own hypothesis. Tell me more about it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So I- Rewind for me. I want to know, know more about you. So everything I've designed was out of my own frustration. You're just a dumbass with me chronicling the ridiculous stories and my own frustration with really, like this can't be this hard. I mean, really. And, and I'm a scientist, so I'm supposed to be understanding the different processes, but so I decided to, to just shift a lot and say, okay, I'm going to try out methods on myself first. So everything I've done, it was always me as the first subject to what so you were single doing. at this time. Yeah. You were single at this time. You're kind of yeah. out there dating, frustrated, and then you decide to apply some of these principles in your own life and, and be your own test case. So what happened? So, right. So by the time I, I, when I was testing the model, I was using Google Plus live video to test on live subjects and live people that would give you- What is, how does that even work? What is Google Plus live? So I would hold live focus groups. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it was like, it was, I was at the last phase of testing on the entire algorithm. And the very next day, I meet my husband on Google Plus. So he was part of this process? Was not. Was not. He was not part of the focus group, but you met him yep. one day later. Right. Do you think it's the law of attraction? Do you think part of that has anything to do with it or Well, so I test I so you know, I'm I test everything. So I yeah. tested if my husband and I were compatible outside of my model. So I I created fake profiles in like maybe eight different dating sites zero return. He never showed up in any of my compatibility searches. So it wasn't, so I can't say it's LOA. I can't say, but I can say that it was, it was when I started manipulating the different strategies that I was using that made change occur. You know what I mean? 
So, so a lot of the six week process is I'm trained as a traditional therapist, right? Cognitive behavioralist. So I took a lot of those traditional models and re-engineered them to get quicker outcomes. So once we started testing out some of the re-engineered models, I started getting 24 hour efficacy. Wow. So I started just, I just started shifting everything around, everything that I was taught, everything that I understood, I just started just re-engineering. I was like, you know what, if all of us, I mean, there's no formula to love and all of us say the same things, right? But that's not working. So maybe we just have to just turn everything on its head. So that's exactly what I did. I started keying more into what I think people were saying and people were, people were wanting. And I realized, okay, that's one aspect, right? People really don't know what they want from what they need. That's Okay, that's not rocket science, right? But you design an intervention to force different strategies to, to demonstrate what your ideal type is, is part of the program, right? Because you have people, like I said, we, we ask for seven characteristics. What are the things that you absolutely need in your ideal type? Yeah. But then when they went into the apps, they were only selecting based on one or two of those characteristics. Why is that? What do you think that, that is? Because they're because a lot of our cognition is being driven on how we behave with social media now. Right. There's little data to support, right? Like in your PR company, right? When you when you position your clients, right, and the articles and and the press coverage and the TV exposure, you know, we're we're relying on a title and some keywords to make it something that we're going to want to look at, right? something that we want to explore further because your brain could still only process 120 bits per second. That's all your brain can do. Right. So it, so that's just one aspect It's want versus need re-engineering all of the processes that, that I was traditionally taught in and then unpacking and course readjustment for people is some of the factors and then we go into the psychological component the definitions that they've created about themselves and and that was based on decades of rejection decades of past failure so a lot of a lot of these aspects are are something that you can't quantify as as easily as we can with brain chemistry right like it's easy to say oh well yes the reason that you're attracted to that drama queen is because your dopamine receptors are the one that's choosing that yeah. I mean that's easy to do, but it's harder to manipulate that dopamine process to convert the dopamine cycle to occur, right? So I created a few different techniques that manipulate some of the neurochemical processes that we're that we're experiencing when we're selecting. That's so cool. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on social media and like our brains are being rewired where you know you talked about the shiny object and we just have no attention span and there's a multitude of options. And I remember when, you know, I met my husband on match.com, you know, back before you would swipe whatever direction yep. up or down or left or right or whatever. I remember times when I would go off it for a little while and then I would go back on because I was feeling bad about myself and I wanted a little hit, you know, and now it's like constant. So how do you, how do you move with that? What are your thoughts? What have you seen in terms of 
how this has affected how people see themselves and how people interact in the world. Okay, so your happiness hypothesis looked at how social media impacts self-esteem directly, right? So there's, there's a 60% overall negative impact to self-esteem when people are overusing social media. The 60%, other, so what is overusing though? Well, see, the, so then that's the interesting part because we're looking at 28 minutes is like an ideal amount of time, right? Total or like right. during the day or right. <laughs> one total, time right. or one total, total per day is what people were using, but it only took a few seconds for them to get negative self-esteem because of FOMO oh. effects, right? So when we're on social media and on dating apps, we're, we're portraying our highlight reels. Right. We're showing, oh, this this is the life you want. Look at my vacation. Look at my dinner. Look at yeah. look at me. Look how cute I am. Right. We're doing all of that. And the person that's looking at that feed and saying, Oh, wow, within seconds, yeah, I don't have that. And then the next one, oh, I don't have that either. And then the next one, I don't have that either. And when you're ex when you're exposed to the FOMO effects, you experience hours of negative self-esteem yeah. after that exposure. So there's studies now that show, so we don't know the full impact of what it's doing to our developmental um, and cognitive development. So when we, when, like researchers are now looking at two hours and five hour exposure to children that are five. So they're, they're in front of a device, they're looking at a number of different things the two hours or five hour exposure didn't make a difference. They were already developmentally delayed when you compare wow. to no exposure. So a lot of, so not only does it cause depression, self-esteem, higher anxiety, you know, and loneliness, like not only does it do this, but the, the more important part of my work is what it's doing cognitively, what is being impaired and what we could do to try to create strategies that will help because you know telling people oh well yeah just get off of social well that just means a cleanse that they'll do like while they sleep right like it's 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 become a codependent feature of our lives and yes you know so we have to work around different different aspects but i'll tell you what alarms me is pre-dementia is now being diagnosed as early as 30. And that started making me very, 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 very concerned about. Is that tied to social media? It's well, it's tied to devices. It's devices, to right? Our right, codependence right. on devices. It's not. It's not just social media because dating apps produces its own level. So we've never got a chance to talk about this part. There's there's a dating app paradox effect that happens that will that will not help you decide. So what it's, what it's doing is creating this overabundance of choice, but a cathexis on who's viable, right? So it's making you think I have all of these options, but then you can't choose down on, on a single thing to decide, okay, is this person worthy to go on a date with? Is this person? Or is somebody not choosing you? I mean, I'm wondering about, you know, um, 
I heard you talk in another podcast about, you know, not settling, but I wonder, there are some people that kind of have overly high expectations that probably could never get, you know, guys that could never get this super hot blonde young cheerleader, you know, yeah. like in their total, you know, like, so I wonder how you kind of balance that too of, of managing expectations and figuring out not only who they are, but who they need, who they want, who's going to be best for them. How do you address that? Well, that's one whole phase of the six <laughs> program, right? The intervention. So first I let, I let everybody tell me, what is it that you want, right? During, during our, our baselining and our screening, tell me what you think you want and tell me how you have fared with that throughout your life, right? Because men will change their definitions based on rejection. Women change their definitions based on past history failures. So they take, they take, mm. so women will take past, past relationship failure, walk into the new thing and say, yeah, um, I don't want to experience that kind of person ever again. So their baseline becomes, look, I'm looking for someone that let's use the extreme cases, which is exactly how the, their own logic works. Okay. I just walked out of a domestic violence relationship. Guess what my primary and main goal is? No domestic violence, which is yeah. kind of like the basic baseline that you should just be expecting. That becomes the primary way of, of who they search for. Men base it on rejection. Okay, the, the, the tall blonde cheerleader rejected me all throughout high school. Now, now you know, I'm 40. I'm still going to try for this model, but it rejected me. If it rejects me again, I'm going to try for the brunette. Like, right, you know right. what I mean? They will constantly, because men collect, see, they, they treat data like, dating like it's a social experiment, right? They collect stats in their brain based on rejection. They're prepared for rejection more than women are, right? Women, we always want to see the betterment of people. We always, when we always give opportunity to people and for a lot longer time than men do right? And women tolerate a lot more dissatisfaction in relationships than men do, right? And that's partially one of the main reasons that 80% of the divorces are filed by women. Wow. You know? So, so yeah, so I'm sorry. I, no, 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 no I could talk forever about <laughs> so, so the So we start by having people tell me, okay, this is what you say you want. This is, this is what you like. All right, now we're going to test it. We're going to test it in the real world. I want you to use online and in real life and come back and tell me what, what those experiences were. Then we build the algorithm and then we make them try different elements that are based on what is more ideal that the algorithm tells them to do. That sounds kind of fun, like a human experiment that you're kind of coaching like a marionette. A little wow, bit, you know. Please. I don't like it. Sounds like a marionette, right? I mean, well, I apologize. No, 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 no. But, but listen. Well, to have somebody guiding you, you know, like you're out on a date by yourself. It's kind of like having a little thing in your ear saying, "No, no, no, go left, go left, right. now go right." And and that's got to be kind of exciting to feel like you have a witness in this process that's going to help you guide you know, maybe disrupt some of your own patterns yeah. that have gotten you in, in places where you're not happy and you're not with the one that you 
should be with if that's what you want. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the best that's the best outcome of the work. I mean, I have hard numbers on the algorithm, right? 97% efficacy is what we have had consistently for two years. Wow, that's I, crazy. My work has been translated in 14 languages now. I answered 20 different markets in two years. And you, you are affiliated with Harvard. Tell me more about that. You've got all kinds of accolades and affiliations that are really, really impressive. So how do you get the word out there? How is this, how does this come about? Yeah, so I'm a member of Harvard's Medical School's Institute of Coaching, which is designed to look at the practice of coaching from a scientific side. So we we look at more like modeling and more like efficacious practice, best practices. So it's, so yeah, it's just looking at like the science of coaching, right? Um, but I was trained at the University of Michigan and, and you know, a lot of, a lot of what, what I did was due to Michigan, the fellowships I gained and, you know, and everything that, that I worked on really was because of that training at Michigan. So tell me about that you don't believe in self-love. What does that mean? Okay. So you know how everybody loves to tell you, oh, you have to love yourself first to love other people. Yeah. So these are the, <laughs> listen, I know you're going to think I'm nuts, but these are to, this is the, the practical side of it, right? The practical side is when I ask people, self-love is based on self-prioritization right? So when I ask women mostly, well, do you put yourself above others? Do you, are you completely honest with yourself about some of your decisions and how that impacts you, not others? So when you start asking about how often do you practice self-care, like when you look at yourself as a priority, and then if you answer none of the above, then that to me would say, oh, then you lack self-love. How many people are that self-aware though? But, well, that's the other things. I do think that we do lack a lot of self-awareness, but people are aware when they feel like overburdened in life, like they're always second, they're always third. They're like women will prioritize, they even deprioritize their health a lot more than men, right? So that's the true definition of self-love is having those components available to you and that you practice them. Now, does that, so when we don't prioritize ourselves, when we don't do any of these things, does that mean we can't love? No, right? So here's the ridiculous example I give. Okay, listen, Charles Manson and Ted Bundy, sociopaths, lack of empathy, serial killers, they got married while they were in jail. Insane. So they lack self-love. They lack empathy. <laughs> They're sociopaths. So you don't really, like, self-love, just like a lot of the theories that we use to describe love are just so antithetical to what is really occurring. You know, the, there's no love at first sight. And love actually takes decades. Do you believe in love at first sight? 
Well, love at first sight happens, but it's a chemical reaction. It's not, yeah. okay, this is an indicator of my husband. This is an indicator of my wife. Yeah. It happens, but it, there's a biological process that's happening. There's a neurochemical process that's happening. And that could be triggered just by, because the person said a few things that you, that you've always wanted to hear. It'll have, you know, it'll have, yeah. it doesn't mean, oh yeah run down the aisle with that guy, run down the aisle with her. Like it, yeah. it doesn't mean that. So when you think about all the apps that are out there, there's Tinder and Bumble and Hitch, or I don't even know. What are like good ones? Do you recommend any of the apps out there? Well, you know, since, since I have, I've never used second wave. So swipe technology is all second wave. I've never used any of those. I was using the traditional sites. But now all those models have changed so rapidly yeah. that there's, there's really, I mean, I could tell you statistically what exists. Only like 1% of apps use algorithms now. Most of them use geolocators. So when you look at things like that, like is it a geolocator that's driving the business model? Is it an algorithm? Am I being matched? Do I, is there places for me to add text? Like it, so a lot of these things have to be driven by what you're really, what you're comfortable with and what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. You know, AI is certainly running a few of them now. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of newer things that would, you would think would see, I really like AI and I, and I would think that AI could do a good job of finding some drivers of compatibility, but you need a social scientist informing that AI model. Yeah, so you think you need the technology to advance more to be able to recommend one over the other. Is that what I'm understanding? No, I think, I think technology is, is really, it's like it's proving still poor outcomes. Like when you look at the marriage rates, eHarmony is the only one that has high marriage rates, right? It's like 40%. You know, the others, they don't, like it's, it's less than 2% cohabitation and less than 2% like marriage. So, so a lot of the goal is really just getting users onto a site, you know, and some of it is confidence boosting for sure for people yeah. just using it, not really thinking, okay, there's two different sects of, of society, people that will never use on online dating and people that, that have only used it. Right. Like, they grew up on dating apps. They have never met anybody in the real world. They never were approached at a bar. They don't, yeah. they don't know any of that. It's so crazy to me. <laughs> right. Like, are they able to look people in the eyes? But I think, you know, also your, your age range is a little bit older. So maybe some of them have, you know? Right. Right. I think it's the funniest thing. Um, you know, my last, my, my final year of being single, I would be out with my girlfriends. They would be using apps, right? And, you know, geolocators. So that means the guy right next to you is showing up on your screen and they're chatting yeah. with the guy in there. <laughs> and I'm like, you could just go like that. Right. Hey! <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so I think a lot of the behavior of that has resulted of us being digitally dependent has also dramatically yeah. changed. So what do you know that you wish other people could know? Oh, listen, I, everything made my life so much simpler when I started treating dating like it was a social experiment. 
when mm. I started looking at it, like this is me collecting data on what I really need, what I want, what's, what works out best for me, just try out different combinations. That was when I was able to really sit down and say, well, this, this is an ideal approach. It takes away the anxiety. Like it takes away the pressure of going on a date with random people. So, you know, if you're just going in with the expectation that this is, this is me getting data to understand what I need, it's, it, you just go through the whole process so much better. I could see that too. And how, how can people, um, what's next for you? Well, I'm going to be starting, I'm going to be starting the practice. I, we finished, we finally got your happiness hypothesis method out of R and D. So I want to begin to introduce this in a couple of weeks. I mean, oh, I've been exciting. doing it, but not on, on the schedule. I hope it's before Valentine's Day. Yes. I want to, I want to try to get it ready for January 3rd. It's the peak of online dating. Yeah. You know, and it's new beginnings for people. So we're, we're going to yeah. shoot for January um, as, as a launch period, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. And how... How can people find you? Oh, yeah. So um, how can people contribute to your mission? How can people find you? Oh, thank you. So it's clarissasilva.com. That's it. And or you're just a dumbass.com. Right. <laughs> you're just a dumbass. That was a blog. And I kind of stopped, stopped writing in it for a while because I focused more on, on clarissasilva.com. Yeah. Um, so you know, people could read about my work. People could read about the, the concepts. People could read about the program. And if they're interested, if so, I offer two different um, offerings. I have individual sessions and then I'm doing the six week program. So for anyone that is Allison's fans and listeners, I, I'll reduce our individual sessions by $100 for the initial. Oh, that's great. What are, so what are, what are the costs? What are their cost ranges? Okay. So initial consultation is seven fifty an hour and wow. the, the six week program is 10,000. Wow. Mm -hmm. I guess if you think if you've got uh, what was it, what was your success rate is like something outrageous. 97%. Wow. Yeah. That's 97%. amazing. Well, it's the program has 97% efficacy. It, um, reduces anxiety, it reduces depression, and I'm working on I'm working on brain health now within the program too. Brain health. Mm -hmm. I guess that's where you talked about the pre dementia. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, I want to work on I want to work on cognition and improving people's cognition. Like within the program too, it's it's already built in. You're the most excited scientist I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love it. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much, Clarissa. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I can't wait. I'll put every, I'll link everything up in the show notes, but happy new year. Happy holidays to you. This is exciting. I can't wait to follow your, follow your journey. Thank you so much, Allison. I really appreciate it. Wow, Clarissa had so many interesting insights, and I love learning more about her groundbreaking happiness hypothesis. I've linked all of her info in the show notes. Please go follow her, check her out. You can also watch the video on the Little Left of Center YouTube channel. Please think of all the single people you know and share this episode. 
It can be so lonely out there, and especially with social media. It's nice to know there are people out there wanting to help you crack your own code for happiness. In the meantime, I can't thank you enough for spending your time with me. Please rate and review this podcast. It really helps others find me and it gives me good feedback as I'm always looking to keep aiming high. If you're interested in your own podcast, the doors are closing in just a few days for Press Play Podcasts. Please go to bit.ly forward slash Press Play Podcasts and say yes to your own brand spanking new podcast in 2020. Culture changing is truly a movement. And all it takes is you to share your idea, to light a spark, and to have it spread. Happy, happy new year. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.